0: Uh, Today we have a great passage today that leads us uh, to the communion table in Daniel 3 as we continue in the the passage um, in the series in Daniel. And so Daniel 3, I'm just going to read today from verses 1 to 7, and that'll get us um, into God's word together. So let's prepare our hearts um, to hear what God wrote to us in the book of Daniel. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations... And languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Today, we have our first communion service um, in COVID-19, and so it's a special service for us all. Uh, For those of you who are at home, please um, gather the materials as we get nearer and nearer to the communion table as we get through the sermon. For those of you who are in here, uh, the communion elements were on your seats. I'll give you a little trick to this. Uh, These are pre-sealed communion elements, but you want to take out the wafer first before you open up um, the cup because it'll crack the wafer on top. So it's just a little trick of the trick. Uh, Before we come to our communion today and I'm so glad we could come to the communion table because We have been thirsty for this. We have been waiting for this and uh, we really really do need this And the Lord has given us a really great passage for us today uh, to guide us to the communion table um, in Daniel 3 Um, If you've been around Mosaic, you probably heard about the concept of idols and um, as I talk to people and as I talk, listen to the conversations that people have, the sense that I get is that we understand this concept of idols um, in our lives. Uh, but today, I want to just focus on one particular aspect of idolatry. And the particular aspect of idolatry that I really want to focus on is this idea that idols threaten you, right? Idols threaten you. And that's what's unique about our passage today is that we feel threatened by our idols, and that's really one of the main reasons we bow down to them, even though we know that they're idols. And a Mosaic, we've used this kind of uh, language of idolatry. And even though we know that these are idols, the reason that we keep bowing down to these idols is because they threaten us if we don't our passage today has this unique um, message to us that today, as we think about our idols, if we look at this passage correctly and if we're able to see Jesus Christ in his provision in Daniel 3, then we will be able to look at our idols and expose them. And we'll be able to see through these idols and by seeing through these idols, we won't have to bow down to them anymore. So today, um, I just wanna take you through this passage and first look at the threat of the idols. Um, Idols threaten us. And the second thing we're gonna look at is exposing idols. This passage gives us the power to expose them so they're not as threatening. And finally, uh, to look at Jesus Christ, the only one um, who is worthy of our praise. I'm really excited to bring you God's word. It's been pumping in my veins this week Um, as we've been uh, coming to this Sunday. Man, Sunday, it it couldn't come fast enough because I really wanted to bring uh, this word. It's a mighty word, but it's from God and not really from me. And so um, as we receive, um, let's bow our heads before we receive and eat from the hand of our Lord. Father, we're here because we're hungry. Uh, We're hungry and we're thirsty. And today we're gonna get closer and closer to the communion table uh, from which you feed us. But also, we need food. We need the the living word, which you told us this is how we live, by eating day by day from um, the food, the word of God. And so, Father, I pray, prepare our hearts as we come to you, hungry. I pray that you would give us the ability to look through idols in our life, give us victory this week, By the power of your word, through the food of the spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What are idols? Um, What are idols? As we begin to talk about this, we have to kind of get an understanding of what idols are. Idols are things in our lives that should not have power over your life because they are powerless. But they do have power over our lives. There are things that really shouldn't have power over our lives when you look at them, but they do have power over our lives even though the idols are not real that's what's strange about idols and in the ancient world we saw them represented in physical elements of um, statues and figurines and we see them physically represented and we see um, ancient peoples offering up not only sacrifices to these idols but in some uh, you know sometimes we even see them offering up their children if you look at uh, the Aztec gods One of the things that the Aztec gods required of their people was the death and life of their children. And so you see horrendous things as you um, read history. People even killing their kids to satisfy the gods. And not only that, even today you have kind of honor killings um, in uh, response to worshiping Hindu gods. Not only do you have kids being offered up for Aztec gods, you see women being burned up for the sake of Hindu gods. And we see this dynamic where these gods should not have this much power over us. These idols should not have this much power over us. But they do. They really, really do. But for modern Western people, we think that idols are kind of not an issue for us. Because we don't see any statues. And we don't really see any food offered to, to idols. And so we don't detect these things. But this is actually happening in our lives all the time. We in our lives are actually dealing with idols constantly because if you think about it, what's an idol? An idol is anything in your life that promises the things that God promises and threatens the things that come from God's wrath. To put it more concretely, idols come to our lives and they offer us salvation. Your idols, whatever they are in particular, they they promise you salvation to you. Whether it's money, if you have enough of me, you will be saved. There's a lot of different idols, but they all promise salvation to you. And because they promise salvation to us, we're drawn to them. But what happens is over time, these idols become slave masters and they won't let us go. They promise us salvation. But on the other hand, idols don't just offer us salvation, but they also threaten us if we don't bow down. They threaten us if we don't bow down and they threaten us with demise um, and today, in our passage today in Daniel 3, we actually see a physical representation, something that happened in history of this dynamic with idols. And so would you read with me verses 1 to 3 again? Let's just look at this. It's, it says this in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of gold. Now that might have something to do with last week's. He saw the statue where he is of gold and everything else was The kingdoms of uh, what was coming. But he decides to make this image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura. Now what you see over and over again in this passage is this word set up. The word set up, has set it up, comes up 8 times in this chapter. Over and over again, you get the sense that this is something that Nebuchadnezzar is consumed with. This is something that's not just a hobby or a side project, but this is something that's really obsessing him, consuming him. And what we see here is that there is this effort, this concerted effort behind setting up this idol. It's a big project for him. And as you read, all the people who are gathered here, you have the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates. All these people are gathered because this is a very, 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 very big deal for Nebuchadnezzar. And so, therefore, it's a big deal for everyone else. But what we need to see is there's this premeditated, willful, and designed effort behind setting up this idol. Set it up, set it up, set it up. You see all of this effort to set up this idol for us. And brothers and sisters, when it comes to the idols of our life and our world, it's no different. You know, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up, I mean, it was big and impressive, but it had no spiritual power. It's just a kind of rock. I mean, gold is very valuable, but it's just 60 cubits of rock. And it's very powerless. And yet... Nebuchadnezzar standing behind that statue with all of his power and effort and premeditated will and and endeavor to try to get everybody to bow down, he's the problem, isn't he? It's not so much the statue itself, but it's what's behind the statue. And in our lives as well, our idols are powerless in our lives, except for the fact that there's a spiritual reality behind these idols that are trying to get you to bow down to them. That's what makes idols so powerful in our lives. If you read Ephesians 6, one of the things that Paul says is that we don't fight against the things of this world as they are. We don't fight against statues and we don't fight against, uh, you know, figurines. And we don't even wrestle directly against money and sex and success and family. All of these things are fine, good things. We don't wrestle against these things. But he says, but you have to put on the armor of God because behind these things are the principalities, the spiritual realities of this world that are using these things to get to you. And so we don't fight these things, but we fight the things that are behind those things. The efforts that are put forth to get us to bow down to these things. See, there's a spiritual reality behind idols, and that's what makes them dangerous. It's not just what's going on in your heart. There's an external factor of the spiritual authorities and the realities behind these things trying to get you to bow down to them. And it's very effective, particularly for Christians, because think about it, if you were one of the demons, if you were one um, who were part of the spiritual reality, you know, if they just showed up in your bedroom every night before you went to sleep and try to get you to bow down to them before you went to sleep, they show up in your bedroom and they say, I am a spiritual authority, I want you to bow down to me, and they did that in your room Monday through Friday, how successful would they be? Probably not very successful. Because what would happen? happen other than I would get a lot of phone calls that week is that y- you would have your senses heightened you would be on guard you would probably not sleep in that bedroom anymore y- you would be on guard and you would put on the armor of God and so that's actually a very very bad strategy if you're part of the spiritual realm so how do you get people to bow down to demons and and, and these things without putting yourself out there like that Well, what they do is they put on the cloak of money, and they put on the cloak of success, and the cloak of beauty, and sex, and family, and all of these things. And what's useful about putting on these cloaks, other than the fact that they're hidden, is the usefulness of putting on these cloaks to get you to bow down is that they can threaten to take these things away from you. There's a threat in this passage, And these threats are what make idols very, very effective in our lives. Let's read verse 4 to 6 together. This is exactly what happens in Babylon. In verse 4, it says this, And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. I think this is what's unique about this particular passage regarding idols, is that there is a very obvious threat sent out. If you do not bow down to this idol, you will be threatened And idols threaten us, brothers and sisters. That's what makes them feel so powerful, is they threaten that if we do not bow down to them, they will take away the very thing that you see before you. That's actually a very good indicator, actually, for us to try to understand whether something is important in our lives or something is an idol in our lives. Isn't that confusing sometimes? It is for me when I think about idolatry, is... How much is too much? I mean, how, how important can something be before it becomes an idol? Because they're obviously supposed to be important, but at what point does it become an idol? That's, that was always very confusing to me. Um, I think that one of the things that indicates to us that something has gone beyond the level of important and has been promoted to the level of idol in our life is you feel the threat. And feeling the threat, it takes away your freedom to say no to that thing. You see, money is just money. Until it begins to threaten you and say to you, if you do not bow down to me, I will take money away from you. And then what? And then your life will be a disaster. Sex is created by God and for us to enjoy in marriage, until you feel the threat of sex being taken away from you, and you feel that your life will be insignificant and meaningless unless you have it. Success is great, and oftentimes God blesses us with success, but how do we know if success has gone from importance to God? You know when you feel the threat of what if it gets taken away from you? What will happen to you? You see, the Nebuchadnezzar and his people say, if you do not bow down to me, we will throw you in a fiery furnace, and that will be the end of of your life. Idols do the same thing to us, whether it's as, as small as the feeling you get when you leave your phone at home, and all of a sudden you feel restless and anxious because you might be missing something, and somebody might message you, and somebody might be posting something about you on social media, and... You feel a little bit restless. That's telling you something. Or it might be bigger than that. It might be more formidable than that. It might be money telling you that if you don't have enough of me, then your life will completely be void of security in your life. And so you better bow down to me. Or I will take that security away from you. That threat comes from our idols. It may be the most famous idol of our day. Self-actualization, finding ourselves, finding our own identity. It's basically every Disney movie that's out there, right? Finding ourselves. And if you don't find yourself in this lifetime, find yourself by yourself in yourself. If you don't do that, then you will live a meaningless, decrepit life and you will have wasted your life. The threat is always there where it could be what Kevin DeYoung, the theologian, he says is the last respectable idol of evangelical Christians, our last respectable idol in our lives, and that's family, the idol of family, the idol of having this perfect family, having the perfect kids, having all of these things is the last respectable idol of our day, And this idol is built pretty high in Bergen County, 60 cubits high where we live. This idol was raised up very, very high, and it's very interesting that some of us are from uh, Korean-American backgrounds. And it's interesting, when you look at the Korean-American, the first generation, when they were building the church, what you saw and what we saw, some of us, is that the family was sacrificed in order to build the church. And some of us see that and that's why some of us don't go anywhere near leadership positions because you're scarred for life. But then what's interesting now is that now as the second generation is building their church, you see the pendulum swinging totally in the other direction. Where you see not children being sacrificed for the sake of the church, but you see God being sacrificed to worship their kids. It swung really hard in one generation. And so, It's sad, but this kind of idol in our lives and particularly around this area, we have to identify this idol because this is built very, very high where we live. All of these idols are very, very powerful because they threaten you by saying to you, if you don't bow down to me, I will take these things away from your life and what God is going to be able to save you if I take these things away from your life? Nebuchadnezzar eventually um, confronts three young men who refuse to bow down to this idol. And that's his question. That's his question. Let's just go on ahead um, to that. If you go to verse 14, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says. I'm going a little bit out of order here, but I think this is important. Verse 14, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He's talking to these three men. And he says to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Now, if you're ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, and bagpipe, and every kind of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And this is the key part. Listen to this. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? Do you hear that threat? He says, if I throw you into a fiery furnace, what God from what place is going to be able to save you from that? It's a rhetorical question because he assumes that the answer to that is there is no God who's going to be able to save me from that. And you see, the way that idols threaten us is in the exact same way. If I take your financial security away from you because you want to go and follow God, if I throw you into financial insecurity for the rest of your life, what God will save you from that? If I take your kids and you want to prioritize faith, and you want to raise them up in a Christian household, and you miss all of these opportunities for them to make connections in their school system, if you want to take away from all the opportunities that they have by, by missing church, if you do that to your kids, what God is going to be able to save your kids if you do that? If you want to be faithful in finding a spouse, and you don't want to bend and you don't want to date like the rest of this world, and you don't want to hold the world's value centerpiece in your dating relationships, and you want to be Christian in your dating relationships, and you don't find anybody because you're getting older and older, and you end up single for the rest of your life, what God is going to save you from that fiery furnace? You see, idols threaten us in the exact same way. They threaten you by saying, if I throw you into this threat there is no God who's going to be able to save you from it. Brothers and sisters, half of the work today is just to recognize the threats from idols and to understand that is why we bow down to them because we feel threatened. Don't take away my financial security. Don't take away my children's future. Don't take these things away from me. Don't take away my career success from me. I'll do whatever you want I'll bow down to you. The first thing that we need to do is recognize that threat in our hearts. And Paul says to us in Ephesians 6, that famous passage, once you see the idol behind the thing, and once you feel the threat behind the idol, this is what he says in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not just wrestling against your, your kids and your, your, your success, and you're not wrestling just against these things, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Brothers and sisters, we need faith and eyes of faith. Once we understand that idols are threatening us in our lives and causing us to bow down, we need eyes of faith then to be able to expose these idols. That's exactly what you see in our passage today. You see three young men who come and refuse to bow down to this idol The buzz is around the whole nation. All these different people are gathered to bow down. In the midst of all this has happening, Nebuchadnezzar hears that there's three men who refuse to bow down to his idol, and it's Daniel's friends. And so in verse 13, it says that Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought, so they brought these men before the king. And essentially, the question that he asks them is this, are you serious Don't you see the fire? Don't you see the flames? Don't you see what I'm about to do to you? Are you serious? You're not going to bow down to this image. He's essentially saying, if I take your life away from you, what God is going to be able to save you? I will throw you into the flames, and I'm not going to think twice about it. There's the threat. Now, the question that he's really asking is about God. It's not really about the men, but the question that he asks in verse 15 again is this, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? That's the question. It's a question about God. It's not really a question about them. And his question is, who is the God that's going to be able to keep you from falling if you fall into this fire? Now, the way that we expose idols is to see what they did. Brothers and sisters, when you look at these three men, what they did was they were able to see a vision of God in the fire, a vision of hope in the fire before God showed up in the fire. Many of you know how this story ends. But what they were able to do was they were able to see God in the fire, a vision of God in the threat before God showed up in the threat. This is how they answer in verse 17. These incredible men, they say, if this be so, if you do throw us into the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furnace. You ask me, who is the God that's able to save me from that? My answer is, the God whom we serve is able to save me from that. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now hear this part. He said, they say, but if not, even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. He say, you know who's able to save us is the God whom we serve. He's able to pull us out of that fire. But guess what? Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. And Nebuchadnezzar is shocked, and so is everybody else around that place, because obviously these young men are able to look at this flame and see through the flame, and see inside of that flame is God himself. And so they say, even if he doesn't, I know that God is in there. And brothers and sisters of Mosaic, hear me, that's how you expose idols. That's how you expose idols. When idols threaten you, you don't cower and move away from the threat, you look directly at the threat and see God in the fire. If the idol of marriage says to you, you're gonna live alone, alone for the rest of your life, is that what you want? I will make you lonely for the rest of your life. And what God is able to save you from that loneliness for the rest of your life? You know what we do? We don't just cower and say, okay, fine, I'll do whatever you want. We look at that loneliness and we look at the fire and we say, my God is able to save me from that fire. But even if he doesn't, even if he makes me single for the rest of my life, I'll never bow down to you. I'll never date and pursue a spouse the way that you want me to because my God will meet me in that fire and my God will make sure to take care of me in that fire of loneliness and singleness. Nebuchadnezzar, I will not bow down to the image that you set up for me. When the threat of childlessness comes to us, we're trying to have children and we're trying to have children and we just can't. And the idol of family says to you, unless you have this kind of family, you will live a meaningless life where you're constantly comparing yourself to other people and you will feel insignificant and unimportant for the rest of your life. And what God is going to save you from that? Bow down to me in your heart. Do you know how to expose that idol? You look directly at the threat and you say, I see the fire, I'm not stupid. I see the fire but God will meet me in that fire of childlessness even if he doesn't give me a child I will not bow down to you in my heart and worship you God of family I will not worship you when we have to make some career decisions that scare us and you know we have to do some things that possibly can put us our our careers in danger, and you know that this is exactly what God has called you to do, the idol of career will say to you, if you do this, if you obey God in this, then you will be thrown into career failure and career jeopardy for the rest of your life. And if that happens, who's going to save you from that? You look directly at that and you say, my God, whom I serve, I know will meet me in that threat and he's going to be there for me. A vision of hope in the fire means to see God in the threat that the idols press on us. Brothers and sisters, his presence is exactly the thing that's going to help us to expose idols in our life. And that's what helps us to expose idols and to see that he's the only one who is worthy of following. He's the only one who is worthy of chasing. And as we come to the communion table, this communion table is a, not just a reminder, but a powerful proof that God gives us his presence in the fire. Let me just read you the last part of this um, passage in verse 24 and 27. Some of you know the story. The three men are cast into the fire, and yet they're not burned. And in verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar is the first one who notices. It says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He's putting his life at risk by doing that. And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered. As you get the sense that everybody's shocked and they're looking. And saw that the fire, listen to this, had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Their hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. You see, the vision that they had came true. The fact that God was going to meet them in the fire, that his presence was going to be with them in that, helped them not to bow down to this idol, and God came to their rescue. Brothers and sisters... Look, the idols in your life, they're going to threaten you. They're going to threaten you, but you need to hear God today as he says, look at the fire. It is a real fire, but I will be with you in that fire. Whatever it is, I will be with you in that fire. I think we need to hear that today. And we need to let it come to the level of conviction. Because I think that at Mosaic, we largely understand this idea of idols and I think that many of us actually know exactly the idol that we're bowing down to and yet we keep bowing down because I think that we say in our hearts I know this is my idol and I know I've been worshiping this idol you're not telling me anything new but I would rather serve this idol and get what this idol promises me than serve God and possibly miss out on that thing. Is that not like the truest thing you've heard? A diagnosis of your heart? We know our idols, don't we? But we say, I know, I know it's my idol. But I would still bow down to it if I can get that thing that it promises me. Because if I serve God and I don't get that thing, it's not worth it. I prayed all week that the Holy Spirit will wake us up from that. That we would have eyes of faith to see that idols are lying to you, brothers and sisters. Idols are lying to you. They're not telling you the truth. I pray that the blinders of our eyes be removed because idols will lie to you and they will burn you up in the process. If you make your kids your God, you'll never get your kids. You see, it's lying to you. If you make your kids your God, you will smother them and you will make them your God and you will be ruined in the process. You will be burned up in the process. If you make your career your idol and it lies to you and says, if you worship me, I'll give you everything. Ask people in this room who've been through the idolatry of career. It will leave you empty. It's lying. It will burn you up in the process. If you worship marriage, There's nothing worse than feeling alone in a marriage. It's a hundred times worse than being alone in singleness. It will lie to you and say, if you do everything to bow down to me, then I will come and take care of your loneliness forever in this marriage. It's a lie. To be alone in marriage is the loneliest place. Every idol will threaten you And lie to you. And today, brothers and sisters, I pray by the Holy Spirit that the eyes of your heart will be opened to see through that lie. To expose it by seeing right through it. And saying to whatever idol that you feel pressure in your heart, threatening your heart, that you will be able to say to it, you know what? I see through you finally. I finally see through you. And you know what? I'm not going to bow down to you. Because I see my God. And he can rescue me from this thing. And even if he doesn't, he will be with me in it. And I will never bow down to you, O Nebuchadnezzar. I pray, brothers and sisters, that that will be in you today as you feel the threat. And I pray that in that you'll be able to see that only God himself is worthy of that devotion. Only God alone is worthy of that devotion. You know why? Because idols will burn you up lying to you through the process. It's only Jesus Christ in the supper here that we have today who will burn himself up to bring you to him. Every idol will lie to you and say, come in. Come and worship me and you won't be burned up. And you will be burned up. But Jesus Christ, he is burned up himself so that he could be with you always. And by coming to him, you'll see that your career failure, it's not going to burn you up, but he's going to be there. He's going to be with you. You'll see that your children's failure is not going to be your ultimate demise. Parents, you will see that even when your children fail, he is with you. It's going to be okay. You'll see that your failure to marry is not going to be the final destination of loneliness, you'll see your God in the fire. You see, he's the one that's able to be with you as you bring all these things to him. He's the only God who's going to be able to keep you from falling. That's Nebuchadnezzar's question. If I do this to you, who is the God who's going to be able to keep you from falling? And the answer is Jesus Christ. Because at the cross, he fell for me And he took on the greatest threat that I'll ever face, greater than any threat any idol could threaten me with. He took on the greatest threat so that he can be with me through all the little threats throughout my life. He took on hell and eternity for me. Won't he be with me if I don't get married? He took on hell and eternity for me. He broke his body and spilled his blood for me. Won't he be with me if I can't have a kid? Jesus Christ went to Calvary for me. If my career fails, won't he meet me in that fire? He's the only one who is able to keep you from falling. That's why I love that song. We're going to sing it today. To the only God who is able to keep me from falling, be all glory and honor, majesty and power for all ages and forevermore. As we come to uh, the table, through all ages of the church, the Lord has given us this supper to remind us that he's not just with us symbolically, but he's meeting us in the fire that we're entering into today. So I'm going to invite the worship team up, and we're going to start to move towards the table together. And I just want to remind you that he's going to meet you in the fire. You don't need to bow down anymore. You don't need to bow down and do whatever the idol tells you because he will meet you in the fire and he will bring you to a place of security and safety. He will take care of you. He's going to make sure that it's going to be okay. Don't bow down. It's a lie. It's a lie. He's the only one worthy of your devotion because he fell for you to make sure that he will be with you through all your falls and through all your struggles, through all the threats that you feel from idols He's going to be with you. He's going to care for you. He is your God, worthy of your love and devotion. Let's go to him in prayer together as we approach the table. Father, we come to you and and we say that there are all these idols threatening us all the time. And in each of our lives, there's one or two that are really in our face. And these idols threaten us. The way that Nebuchadnezzar threatened all those who are in Babylon, and particularly these three men, when he said to them, I will throw you in the furnace if you don't bow down to me. Who is the God who will be able to save you from that? Father, I just want to admit that some of us know we're bowing down to idols. We keep doing it, and we've been doing it a long time today i pray remove the blinders off the eyes of our hearts to see that our idols are lying to us they're not going to take care of our kids they're not going to make us take care of our loneliness forever they're not going to give us financial security and, and 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 security in our hearts forever help us to see the lies and help us to see through the threats and see that it's only you who is able to keep us from falling Father, as we come to the communion table, we pray, work on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, before we go to the communion table, I just ask the worship team to just lead us in this song two times over. So I encourage you, just close your eyes. And before we go to the table, let's just lift this song up in our hearts um, before we come to the body and blood of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and let's just lift this song up to God, spirit and in truth.
1: To keep us, able to keep us from falling to the only God. Be all glory now and
0: forevermore. Today we come to the communion table, and uh, it's a special one. We've never done it this way before, but I encourage you to gather your elements as we're reminded of his presence in our life. Um, a lot of communion tables, you'll see written on the communion table, presence, the word presence. Because the community table, um, it reminds us that, that he is present with us. Not just symbolically, this is not mental manipulation to help us to remember, but in this communion, he's actually spiritually joining us in a way that is unique and special and powerful. And today, I call you, Mosaic, to be reminded that whatever uh, fire, whatever threat, The idol is saying, I will cast you into this furnace. May the Lord's Supper remind you, his presence goes with you. That because his presence goes with you, you need not fear. You need not fear. Today, brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and you have confessed faith in him this is for you if yet you don't know jesus christ then i encourage you please talk to me email me just reach out to know the savior who is worthy of our devotion but until you know him and believe in him please refrain from eating the supper and uh if today your heart doesn't want to repent and if your heart doesn't want to turn from idols and you have no desire to even try to come to His grace, I ask you, please refrain from the meal and instead think about His grace. If you don't want grace, this meal is not for you because this meal is only grace. And today, if you have no intention of turning to His grace, I encourage you to repent and to come to Him and see the picture of His provision for you. But if you know Jesus Christ, and if you want to turn from idols, and you want to stop bowing down to to lies, brothers and sisters. His presence is given to us in today's meal, because the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke that bread, and he said, "This is my body. This is my body, which is for you. I'll tear it apart for you. I'll tear it apart for you, so that I could be with you through every threat, through every fire." tear my body apart for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. I'll pour out my blood for you so that you never have to be afraid. I'll pour out my blood for you so that you don't have to bow down to idols. I promise you I'll make this covenant with you. I'll pour out my life for you. And he said, when you do this, When P. Dave lifts up this cup at church, remember me. Remember me. So brothers and sisters, today, as we come uh, to these elements, may we receive the holy presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In every furnace that you are in, don't believe the threats. He's with you, and he's caring for you. Let's all partake in the Lord's Supper together as a family. you would all rise, let's all pray before we respond to him once more with the song. Father, you are the only God who is able to keep us from falling. And uh, we just say that uh, we denounce idols and we denounce the idol in my life that's been lying to me and telling me to bow down you are the only god who's able to keep me from falling and so today my worship goes up to you i will never bow down and serve the idols in my life but father today receive our praises in jesus name we pray amen let's all rise and respond to him in song